This is a download from BFM 89.9, the business station. The Property Show on BFM 89.9, the business station. Good morning. You're tuned in to The Property Show, our weekly take on all things property related. And I'm Philip C. It's the last Friday of the month, and as usual, Kairul Anwar Shahuruddin from Kairul Sohaila and Haslina is our guest for today's Property Legal Clinic. Welcome, uh, Kairul. How are you doing? Hi, I'm good. It's good to be here, Philip. Now, we've got a couple of questions to go through with you. Uh, our first question is in relation to the Strata Management Act. Now, we've got quite a lot of questions on this, and it pertains to Para 13 of Schedule 2 which requires a proprietor to submit a motion seven days prior to the AGM. In that same para, it says the motion will be included in the next general meeting. That it has been generally interpreted that the next general meeting doesn't quite refer to the upcoming general meeting, which is in seven days, but the one that will be potentially held after this. So the question is, why the need to submit a motion within seven days from the general meeting date when the motion will not qualify to be voted in the coming AGM? Oh, okay, Philip. I think I think this is more about the wording and the intention of this whole general meeting schedule, uh, the second schedule provisions for uh, management cooperation. Because this notice is not just for that particular uh, annual general meeting. This annual general meeting will be yearly, but uh, it also for the first general meeting that is ever for done for that particular uh, uh, strata uh, management so it be, it become a setting for your for your next general meeting and further general meeting down the years so i think because the word is for the, on the first general meeting you have to to have particular agenda set that you must settle, which is including to the, determine the number of members of the management committee, to consider the budget, to, con- to confirm or vary any amount, uh, determine as charges, contribution to the sinking fund. So these uh, are just some of it. Uh, this is uh, in the first annual general meeting of the management corporation. So you have to settle this first before you brought any agenda. So if you put in any request to add into the agenda, it would be pushed to the next general meeting. So unless it is very important, you can call an EGM. So emergency general meeting, uh, ex- sorry, a extraordinary general meeting. But for this particular one, for the first annual general meeting, you must settle this issue that is important to run the management committee. The management committee, when you do the first general meeting, annual general meeting doesn't exist yet so you must go through that and then that particular committee will take over and then they run the whole show so this particular issue must be settled any additional agenda it need to be brought forward to the next annual general meeting as i said if you it's so important it will be put uh, you can request for an extraordinary uh, general meeting and it will be in that agenda that this, this particular agenda will be put into that. Mm. If not, it will be for the next annual general meeting. But uh, in that, the next annual general meeting, when you put the notice, it should be brought 
within uh, the notice for the all those who can participate need to be sent out within 14 days and then any new motion need to be before seven days of the meeting and that particular meeting will add in into that agenda how do you get an egm uh, in place what what is the process when you request for an egm for then the, oh, the management to decide that an egm should take place the it must be a, to a requisition to the registered office and it uh, an egm must take place if there's enough uh, quorum uh, sorry enough people asking for it so i think the amount is half or two-thirds uh one quarter of the aggregate share unit meaning that a quarter will a quarter of the people living or renting there call for it and it can be called uh, upon the extraordinary general meeting so one tends to think that the requirement for a motion to be submitted you know seven days prior to the AGM was to facilitate the organizers to put forth the motion so then my question is what is this point of the seven days then Oh, uh, for the seven days, actually, as you, uh, if you see, you need to, uh, if it's agreed to be put into the agenda, you need to put the notice to all the the people who will be coming. So the seven days is for them to digest, to do their research, to before the meeting itself. So it's 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 like a notice because the fourteen days notice is for the call for the meeting, and during that time you already have an agenda. So if you agree to put in an agenda, a new agenda, it need to be disseminated to all the people who are coming that these are the new agenda. Uh, uh, it become a part of the the agenda for that particular meeting. And in, in your experience, right, when you look at motions or resolutions approved at an AGM, what is the typical uh, approval uh, threshold required? Is it usually 51%? You know, and what are the typical resolutions that usually require larger or higher voting thresholds? No, the in in uh, uh, management corporation uh, or actually even uh, joint management body uh, meeting, it's a simple majority, and it's by show of hand. Uh, it's actually uh, spelled out in the meeting uh, rules of of, of this uh, strata management act. You need to just show of hand is a majority rules. Uh, the the need is passed through majority, so it's a simple majority thing. The next question we have, and it was from an anonymous uh, a listener, uh, and let me just tell you his story. He purchased a condo unit at the end of 2019. You know, when his family viewed the showcase house, uh, they were informed that phase A was sold out. Now the developer is sell- selling phase B which is more expensive than phase A. The t- type of unit which we wanted was then not available. As such, did not purchase the unit. But a few days later, the agent told him at the showcase earlier, which was a unit to their satisfaction, hence the unit became available. And so they paid the unit, which was more expensive, but that was located in phase B. Okay, so essentially they wanted to buy phase A. It was sold out, but they bought the more expensive phase B. When they received the unit with CF at the end of 2022, they notice that the unit which they're staying in now is in phase A, but the SPA that he signed stipulates the price of the more expensive phase B. So what in your view is happening here? Because phase A units were sold at a much lower price than phase B, but he basically took on the phase B uh, unit. Does he have any legal rights to claim for the extra that he's paid? Simple question, but the answer is a bit complicated because the the proof that he need to show that 
uh, if if he wants to claim it, it can be claimed because in my opinion, as a uh, as a lawyer, you can actually claim for about nearly anything, but you have to prove that you have the rights to it. So uh, the first thing is about the switch, whether there is really a switch. And when you buy something, it actually it's not just property. It's just about anything. It's about willing seller, willing buyer. Even if it's a property and even if it's me, uh, the, the, we are governed by uh, Housing Development Act because they bought, he bought it from a housing developer, right? So, or anything, it, it must be, you must make sure that what you buy is what you intended to buy. And on the other side of the, the developer actually intended to do the switch. So I am not sure who, uh, whether the agent actually is staff of the developer or actually a different agent. So the agent actually is representing somebody, uh, which is the developer. So that particular agent is holding it to himself, whether what he is selling is what he intends to sell. If it's spelled out in the somewhere that he intends to buy the B uh, type of uh, property, then maybe he can have a case. So he but should if not. Mm, so he could uh, make yeah, a claim uh, to either the agent or the developer. Yes, uh, because the agent is uh, particularly should have been appointed by the developer. But the problem is actually proving that there was a switch because he agree and he should have read. He would have seen the particular unit. So because it's very vague about the representation, about whether he knows, uh, did he actually make a research whether there wasn't any B-type. I think he was trying to buy a B-type, which is less expensive, or he was just taking it from the agent's word. But the agent was actually, he, he need to show that he was, there was a misrepresentation by the agent. So in my trying to get the difference between the price is something which is hard to get. It's about uh, proving something. Is there, a, there. is there a timeline in which you can make these claims of uh, not being sold the specifications promised? Because he received uh, the unit at the end of 2020. We're now really at the end of 21. Is there some timeline uh, in which he can make these claims? Okay, in terms of making a claim, there's a, uh, we have six years, a civil claim, you have six years to, to make a claim if you want, if you can prove. Uh, but first, I, I would ask him to, to actually do some uh, research about whether he was, it was really a misrepresentation or and whether there is any difference and the timeline of the sale, whether during that time was there really a B unit to be sold. But in my opinion, it's a bit hard for him to prove it. We'll have more of your questions and answers from Cairo Anwar Shahuridin after these messages. Stay with us, BFM 89.9. Welcome back. You're tuned in to The Property Show on The Morning Run. I'm Philip C. and I have Kairul Anwar Shaharuddin from Kairul Suhaila and Haslina here with me for the monthly property legal clinic that takes place on the last Friday of the month. Now, Kairul, we have a broader question uh, here with respect to government acquisition of housing development land. And the question is this. What are the purchaser's rights and developer rights if government acquires housing development land. Is there land acquisition-related clauses under Schedule H of the Housing Development Act that provides protections there? When the government want to take over any land in uh, Malaysia, whether it's uh, for uh, for whatever reason, but usually for 
human interest or actually for uh, infrastructure building they they used the housing the land acquisition act was actually abandoned in 2016 because uh, we have a few projects in the klang valley which require the amendment so actually that's that's the only act that you must look into when there's a takeover by the government of any land and including housing development projects so uh, depending on the the situation of that particular development the government would have sent notice much earlier so uh, it would be rarely in the interest of the purchaser uh when that happened usually it would have been in the notice of the developer the developer would would be the one dealing with it that that they have to deal with this issue and whether they want to go for the housing development uh, uh and they i think they would have stopped it uh, much earlier than before selling it to the purchaser but if it happened then the purchaser would get the notice and they will they will they will be the one which has to go to deal with the, with that particular uh, issue of uh, being taken over the, their unit will be taken over by the government how you were mentioning that it does happen but how rampant is this actually and how long is the notice <laughs> uh the notice is uh, i think is one year uh, or more uh, i'm sorry i'm not really that well versed on that particularly uh but the you you can actually get out of it you can only be you you can only do the the necessary price haggling i would call it of the how much the that particular property will be taken over and mm. when you say how rampant it seems that as if uh, they, this thing goes around uh, nearly every other day so it doesn't usually it has a master plan uh, we have a master plan we have a city master plan uh, we have even petaling jaya has a master plan so if it's a housing development it really rarely you will be rarely hit by this so it will usually be land acquisition or a particular property which is already on that particular the the best example i would say is when it happened to petaling street and then when it happened to ampang park and those are because of the mrt project So those are the nearest that we can refer to. So in the case of the Ampang Park, they got taken over the whole building. There, there's already a strata development there. So there was a court fight, but uh, after it was because I, as I said, rarely can can uh, fight it. to not be taken over by the government because in that particular case is because of the MRT and now because MRT will not be using it as a subterranean development they they were thinking of doing it but it it, it got cancelled it will be just currently will be for now a flat land and in the Petaling Street case uh, is already being built there's already MRT station so the 2016 amendment was actually particularly was done because of that but they, those are all buildings those are building which is already in existence so you see that uh, the government won't, won't rampantly take over a particular building especially if mm. there's a, a there's a development which is already there and you mentioning just now that there's really little recourse for you to challenge the government but you could do a bit of price haggling uh, what is the basis yeah. uh, for the price haggling perhaps Oh, there is is uh, like any valuation. It uh, will be the the land beside the that particular property which is being taken over. But that that's usually the best yardstick. So if the pricing is say one ringgit, 
uh, on the land beside the the one being taken over. So and you got the offer for 70 cent, so you can haggle it up to that particular price. I think even in the case of Ampang Park, there was that the amount of the price that the government was going to pay. They got a bit higher than it was offered to them. Yeah. And and just now you were mentioning that. Let's say you you have no choice. You have to concede the land. The land was intended for some development. For example, the government wanted to do an MRT development. But let's say in five to ten years that project doesn't materialize. There's really no recourse, also right, for that previous owner to seek compensation, right? Because the government did not fulfill the intentions of what the allocated land was for. No, it will it will have been settled much earlier when you uh, get your compensation. So that is your you you can't haggle it up. Uh, when you know that that particular project did not go through. All right, let's shift to the last uh, question. On today, when we do this show, um, we have budget 2022. Uh, what's on your wish list uh, for budget 2022? Okay, so uh, the budget 2022 will will come in uh, within the next uh, five to six hours, right? So uh, in mind, the budget will concentrate. On getting us on uh, the rakyat Malaysia in general to to get back on their feet. In a way, if you look at the overall uh, scenario, we have next year will be the year that our moratorium will end. One of it, I'm not sure. Everybody is actually now having a a bit of a payment holiday, but in the next uh, two months, our We have to pay back all our those that took the moratorium because it's an it's not an automatic moratorium without you requesting it. You cannot request it. So uh, when if you uh, ha- is having the payment holiday, so next year will be kicking in back. So I think they did this before. There might be a need to have selected uh, moratorium. Where the, you are allowed to to have the moratorium, uh, I think the this is not just for property, but just about any any payment, because um, the this health uh, crisis that we are having, they will be putting a lot of thing into it. But in terms of property itself, I think you need to rejuvenate the industry. You need to have something for it so i think uh, the normal thing that people will do is the real property gain tax the stamp duty exemption and we still have the housing house ownership campaign hoc uh, by the developer i think all this need to be extended and then this this the these are actually a bit of a radical ideas that might might um, uh, might not fly with the authorities which is to have a bit of repurposing uh, i'm not sure tax exemption of uh, property repurposing of tax properties if you were building uh, or not building if you have malls uh, unused if you have uh, industrial land or uh, commercial land you might allow uh, repurpose it to residential mm. so because we have a lot of people who who would need houses as they were laid off uh, and then this would should be not just extended to housing developer but also the secondary market and then you need to look at the rental act that which was supposed to come i think it was supposed to be in parliament in 2020 but it's it's been pushed back so many times so i think that should be pushed uh, the rental act should actually help 
not just the people who are going to rent. It need to be a bit retrospective to those who are currently struggling to even maintain whatever property they have for rental and for those who are renting. So I want to build on that. What do you expect to see in the Rental Act? What changes would you like to see there then? I, I, I got the bill, but I think it, will, it won't be the one that we are going to see. So I think uh, maybe some for the property owner, some of a tax exemption, uh, a bit or a lower tax if there is tax uh, rental tax uh, there, uh, any income you get for rental you are actually is actually taxable but some leeway need to be given to those who actually rent out and then those who are paying also may need uh, to have uh, some kind of a leeway for them but I'm, I'm not uh, I don't really get mm. the I don't really have an idea for that but yeah so that's that's the thing. I think the rental tax need to to be looked at, and then the the Soho and Sovo type of property also need to be given some because most of the Soho or Sovo are actually commercial property. So the RPGT through that we we see that when GST was in uh, effect in Malaysia, they were uh, those who use it for residential are given more leeway under the GST. So if uh, you sold under as a residential they are given some exemption but uh, if it's uh, under commercial they they were given a, they, they don't give a, they don't get the gst uh, exemption so that might be can be reflected either in the rental act, uh, act or the rpgt thank you kairul there was kairul anwar shawridin from kairul suhaila and haslina that's all the time that we have for the monthly property legal clinic today Join us again next month as we help you shed light on your legal conundrums. Send your questions to property at bfm.my or WhatsApp us at 018-789-8899. We have the 10 a.m. News Bulletin coming up next, followed by Enterprise, BFM 89.9. The Property Show on BFM 89.9, The Business Station. Thank you for listening to this podcast. To find more great interviews, go to bfm.my or find us on iTunes. BFM 89.9, The Business Station.